Chances are, if you're creative in any creative field, you've either used or heard of Pinterest or Twitter. And if you're not a social media person, chances are you might have had to ship your designs across the country and you might have used Dropbox. Yeah, that's right. All of these companies that I just mentioned, all these social media brands that I just mentioned, I know one person that worked at all of them. And her name is Ash Wong. She is, get this, an experienced designer at Adobe now. And she's come today to talk to us, not about just being a creative, but also putting her creative thoughts to paper with pen and becoming a writer, an author. And so with no further ado, here's the interview with my friend, Ash Wong. You're listening to Culture of the Creatives. I'm your host, Daniel Lachey. We're so glad you found us. I do enjoy social media in some respects. I mean, there's the obvious things where, you know, when you see the sausages made or be, just even just being on there long enough, you see the dark side of everything that's happening on social media and, you know, how it's influencing our world. At the same time, though, I have met so many people who I would never have met had I not been on social media. I have a lot of friends from Twitter who I'm really good friends with now, and we basically never met for three years, talked online a lot, even like in public space. And then we just met up and it was like, we've been friends forever. So I have a ton of friends like that and even more that I haven't even met yet that I feel like we are acquaintances. So it's been really important to me in that respect. What drives you when you go to work in the morning? I feel like I work with a ton of freelancers and graphic designers and different creatives that are like outside the constructs of a a big company, a major organization. But it seems like your path has been woven into all of these major brands and major companies, and you've been able to do it well and still find joy in the middle. What, what would you say allows you to do that? It is funny because uh, if you had asked me the same question two years ago, you would be asking a freelance independent artist who was never going to go back to full-time work. So I've been in and out of working full-time with companies, big and small. I've also worked for smaller companies. And I don't know, half of it is, in terms of what would keep me at a company and why I really like my current job is, I like being driven by a bigger mission and just good people. That's always really important to me, working with good people. There's a lot you can tolerate if everyone's, you know, respectful and kind and generally likes to be around each other uh, versus, you know, if you're doing something that's super noble or super uh, externally looked up to, even if it's the most amazing thing, if the people are not in a healthy place, then it's not a healthy place to be. Mission can't save everything. So for me, it's that combination. It has to be both. And uh, yeah, that's been when I've been happiest. And so how do you make sure that you find an organization that has a healthy mixture of creativity and work culture? I would imagine when you go to Adobe or Dropbox, can you tell that from the interview process? How, How do you dissect that? I think it's hard to tell from the interview process. I think after you've interviewed a bunch of times, certain red flags will pop up if you notice that you know, I also think that there are certain offices you walk in and the air just feels kind of weird. And you're like, 
I, I walked into one office and they were like blasting top 40 at, from like an empty desk and everyone else was just like silent and it was just like an open space office. And it's just like, there was just like bad vibes there. And I was like, Oh no. And then my friend was like, I'm leaving. And I was like, Oh no. Um, but honestly, it's hard to tell from an interview, right? Cause everyone's on their best behavior and people do act differently in that context versus your daily context. So a lot of these places that I've been happy at and worked at either, I know a bunch of the people there and I know that they're working well, or I spend some time just contracting, trying out the waters so we can try each other out. Not just me trying my company out, but the company can try me out and make sure everything's a fit and it feels right uh, before committing full time. So then would you say that you've been able to network in order to get the jobs that have shown you the most, like, I don't know, um, job satisfaction? Oh, I mean, I think, you know, networking is one of those funny terms where it's kind of unpopular and gross sounding, I think sometimes. Um, but I don't know. I've always kind of been of the philosophy that a lot of people have taken of, you know, just be genuine and interested in other people and the people you're genuinely interested in and want to associate, you all rise together, you know, and that's really important to me, this idea that there is enough room for everybody. Uh, this isn't necessarily a competition. There's competitive moments, of course, when you know, I'm working in design tools and that's like a pretty competitive space. But at the same time, I'm friends with everyone at the quote unquote competition. So uh, it's a pretty friendly, friendly place to be, even if it's not necessarily, um, you know, from the outside, you might think everyone hates each other. That sounds very democratic to me. I think I personally identify with that more than some people that are around me. Because I'll, I always end up looking at my friends or the people that I work with. Like, we are all equals trying to achieve different goals in the same, like, space as each other. Like, we all want to succeed. But I think that, that, at least in my experience, it's rare to find other people who feel that way. I've found that I encounter a ton of creatives who, and I can't tell if it's insecurity sometimes or something else that they're, that's their driving force. But where I want it to be equal and we can all win, suddenly it, it tends to turn differently. And so it's very interesting that you have that perspective. Do you think you learned that from your family or do you think you found that somewhere else along the line? <laughs> uh, I listen to a lot of Deepak Chopra meditations. Um, but seriously, I think it is a wider, that's a, it's a wider thing than just within the confines of design. It's definitely a life outlook, I would say. And I definitely have seen enough proof personally in my life that not necessarily that resources are distributed equally. I don't think that is true at all, but I would say that there is enough. Like if we could just like any resource you can think of, there is a way to make more of it or to make it enough. I think I got in a conversation, even if you think about things like global warming, where it's like, yeah, they, we don't have enough oil. Like, say that's a thing you would think about. Um, but we as humans, we can make technology that either makes that oil go farther or like gets us onto something that's more sustainable. 
And so I think that's the idea of abundance, the kind of like the twist on it, where um, once you start to believe that, where it's like human ingenuity is really remarkable and actually creates a situation where we can have enough um, and then resources become abundant through creativity. It's very hard to give yourself permission to make stuff. I think there's just so much other stuff you could be doing that has real external value immediately, you know, Um, whether it's a different job or spending your time making money versus doing your art. It's really easy to get swept up. And so I think it's really important to surround yourself with people who are going to support you and um, push you to be better. And there's ways to do that that don't involve competition, that don't involve um, tearing each other down or being hypercritical about things that you don't need to really be critical about. And I think that's really important. It's really, really important to surround yourself with people who are going to be a good community. I 100% agree. And then when you say that it's important to give yourself permission to create, how does someone who works for such major companies and has such high demand on their time find time to write a book, let alone two books? <laughs> um, you know, 10 minutes at a time. There are some days where I don't write. There's some days where I write two pages. And there are other days where I can really sit down for several hours and I can write, you know, like 10, 15 pages. But that's not normal. I was 14 years old and I was in Arizona and I just, I was a really avid reader. So I was reading all of the time and most of my artwork started as consuming this artwork that I really liked and then turning it into my own take on it or kind of doing fan service or just, I wanted to feel what it would be like to make something like that. And so that's kind of where all of my interest in art in all forms originated. And so um, I had been reading a lot. I was really into like fantasy novels, which I still am. And I wanted to write my own. So I started kind of dreaming up this book with characters and figuring out what was cool about the characters and everything and putting them into situations, figuring out a plot, uh, putting together a book. And I worked on it on and off through high school while I was like a weird art kid doing weird art kid things and actually put the book on the shelf for college. Uh, I went to design school, very fortunate to get a great education. And after school, I, um, I was talking to somebody who wanted to be a designer, but didn't really know where to start and was like, oh, like, I, I can't really do that. I wouldn't be good at it. And I was like, oh, well, you know, if you just work at it and put in your hours, you'll do it. Like, I did it. You can do it. We can all, we're all just like people doing stuff. 
And I said this, I say this a lot to people who say they want to become designers. I'm just like, oh, it really is a lot of hard work and you have to be prepared for that. But you know, the hard work does pay off. You just have to keep going. And I found myself reading a book as after school and after a couple of years working and thinking like, oh, I would love to write a book. And I had this moment where I was like, well, gotcha. Like now it's your turn. <laughs> so I start, I picked up this book, um, that I had been writing as a teenager. I started working on it again, changing everything. So it was completely different. Um, but with similar veins and I just kept working on it and, uh, learning to write novels basically. So what would you say that you learned about persistence and achieving that goal? I think that is rare. I think most, um, people, especially in the creative realm, tend to have functional ADD when it serves them best and they don't really stay on task well. And so what did you learn about persistence in that journey? (laughs) It's funny because I'm actually a pretty impatient person, uh, in some respects where I always joke that I would, I fail the marshmallow test. Have you heard about this? No. So this is the test that, uh, Stanford university ran for a while where they would get kids And the kid would sit at the table and the adult would come in and say, okay, I've put a marshmallow on the table. You can choose to eat it now, but if you wait till I come back, I'm going to leave the room for a while and come back. If you wait, I will give you two marshmallows. And they actually correlated through time. The kids who would eat the marshmallow just immediately or like try to like eat it and like put it back or something. And the kids who would wait, there was actually a correlation there where the kids who would wait to wait to get the two marshmallows had an easier time in life, um, succeeding through our like normally externally validated things. So, you know, they would go to better schools or, um, have more success at work as, as the uh, researchers followed them through life. And so it's this kind of joke that I have where like, if I were the kid, I don't know, like part of me would probably be like a good child and wait, but a big part of me would just be like, give me that marshmallow. <laughs> just shove that down the pie hole. I would like to think that I would go with the two marshmallows, but I would have to just look away from the marshmallow. I feel like it would be very hard to look away, you know? Oh, everyone wants to Temptation is a real thing. <laughs> yeah. And so... Oh, yeah. Okay, so you were working on this novel from the age of 14 until what? 2000, what is it, 15? Is that right? I think so, yeah. When you released it... Was there like some sense of like joy? It's finally out. Was it nervousness since it was something that you had not done before? What did you feel once the book was finally like printed and in your hands? I think all of it. I mean, part of it, I was just excited that I was done. Part of it, I was really nervous because I'd never written a book before and I had less of a handle of like, is this good? Like I would read this, I think, but I don't know. And, um, yeah, there was this also feel of fear where I had lived in this universe for so long that I didn't know what it would be like to write a different book or live in a different universe with different characters. So that was pretty scary. And so speak more to the the fear that you felt along the way. Can you describe it? Part of it was, I just like, was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I like know what I like when I read it, 
but I had never really gone through the exercise of really going through each thing that I liked and kind of really analytically assessing what worked and what didn't, what I liked and what I didn't like. Um, so even things like structure or I don't know, like plotting, I didn't really have a scientific understanding of what I liked about these things. So a lot of it, I was just flailing around and just trying stuff out and just producing, just producing hundreds and hundreds of pages. And I threw away hundreds of pages. I mean, over my lifetime, I've thrown away like 10,000 pages at least. Of like written copy? Oh, books? yeah, yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think that's amazing that you can say that you've written that much and that you've had the discipline or the um, gunction to say, you know what? All these pages aren't needed. Let's trim the fat. This is my main point. I think that's a remarkable thing. I think it's funny because it's upsetting when you have to throw stuff out, but those 10,000 pages, it takes 10,000 pages to write like 600 pages. Like you have to write those pages and throw them away to write the final pages. So I guess throwing away is like a bit of a facetious term because that's like what it feels like when you're just like tears or fears, just like throw it away. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's part of the process. What did you do when writer's block, if it ever happened to you, how were you able to combat it? So the way I work is actually pretty loose with writing. There's some really strict structure and then the rest I kind of do um, what I feel. So I'll outline the book, like the major plot points. I will figure out characters and their motivations and everything as far as I can without writing. And then I basically just start writing whatever scene I can see or comes to mind or I feel prepared to write that day. So I, when I write, it's... I could be writing the middle of the book, the last scene, the first scene, wherever. Um, and I'm filling in missing scenes basically until the last 80%. Then it's becomes, okay, these are the scenes that are missing. You're going to have to work on those, but it makes it so that you already have like 80% of a manuscript written. So it's a lot easier to be like, okay, like you've come this far, you can do the scene you don't want to do versus writing in order has never worked for me where, you know, you don't necessarily know what's going to happen in that scene yet. You're not quite in the mind space to write this kind of scene. Uh, just so many things can go wrong that I just want to make it so easy for myself to sit down and be like, oh, I thought of this scene yesterday. I better get it down before I forget all of it. Uh, and then you're just writing versus fighting yourself in any way. So how are you able to determine what didn't work for you as a writer and then shift to what did work for you? If I'm not writing, it doesn't work. <laughs> I have a pretty simple metric. Um, and I think that's why I've been able to produce a lot is because if it doesn't work, even if everyone I know is doing it or like, it's really recommended by some top author, if it doesn't work for me, like I'm, I accept that. And I accept that I have a different personality. I have different working style. And if I find something that's weird, but seems to work, I'll just do it. Um, and For me, I think as I go on, you know, as I have developed a writing habit, I've been able to instate a little more structure or a little more, um, you know, process, whatever you want to call that. But when you're starting out to start from that place, 
for me is hard. And I know some people are different and they need the structure first and then they, then they can go more free. Um, but I just like, whatever gets you writing every day, I have to be led by my desire. I'm like a very, I'm like a stubborn, like donkey of a woman where it's like, I have to feel like creatively, like my muse has to feel like it was her idea. So what would you say to a creative who may or may not be a writer? They might be a designer, a musician, um, a communicator of some sort that follows all these people on social media or has read a book or watched a movie or a film on somebody doing their process one way and they want to achieve a goal, they want to create beautiful artwork and they're trying their darndest to like follow somebody else's pattern and rhythm and it's just not working for them. What would you say to that person so that they could break free of that and find their own way of doing it? I would say that it's good to try. Like, I think that's great. But at some point you have to let yourself off the hook and try something else. Cause I, at the end of the day, it's, if you're not producing, it's not working. And there's tons of stuff that works for other people that will not work for you. Um, I know some people who outline very rigorously. They have every scene, uh, they know every scene before they even start writing. They have to have it all in their head and it plays like a movie. For me, when I write that way, it's, it just doesn't come out as good. Like the stuff is very wooden, it doesn't come out right. Um, and so, you know, I've tried that method and it works for some people. And I've adapted some of those techniques in a way that is beneficial for my writing habits without going full into that process. But you don't know that until you have some core that you can use. As a writer, I'm aware that figuring out your protagonist is a huge component in the writing process. So that's where we jump back in with Ash as she tells us about character development. I start somewhere with a character. Because usually when I have a book idea or story idea or whatever, there's a character in mind that is like a certain personality or like a certain way of being in a certain universe um, that's kind of like the kernel. Whether it's I see kind of like a scene in my imagination where something's happening and then I start extrapolating personality or other things from that. Um, but what I'll usually do is I kind of, that person doesn't exist yet or ever, I guess, arguably characters do not ever fully exist, which is a pro and a con. And, uh, once I get this kind of murkier idea, I do actually rely on systems like the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or even like for fun, I'll do like astrological signs or so on. Basically anything to start um, putting in a little bit of structure and kind of creating rules around this person. Like how would this person react in the situation? What's the kind of conflict that would really highlight uh, growth in this person and uh, start adding that all up? And then that starts to create like a more complete character and hopefully, you know, the interaction of the world and the character starts to create something interesting. And so 
I go back and forth between this like mushy, oh, wouldn't it be funny if there was a scene between two people and it was on Mars and XYZ happens to saying like, okay, um, how can we take that idea, give it some braces and uh, actually have it come out and be a full-fledged thing? So it's, it's definitely a push and pull between the sides of the brain, as you will. No, I think that's amazing. And so it makes me wonder, since you are a talented writer as well as a designer, um, which did you start first? Do you think you started as a writer since you started when you were 14 first? And then you like transferred some of the creative juices in your body to become a designer? Or were you always designing along the way? I think it's funny because I've kind of my whole life just been doing a lot and everything all at once. I think I never really separated the fields. I separate them now so that it's easier to understand. I mean, like when people are like, what do you do? I'm like, uh, (laughs) here's three things. Here's three things. Uh, this is going to be easier to understand and talk about. Um, but I mean, ever since I was little, I was doing art. I was building websites. I was doing all sorts of stuff. I was reading, writing, learning weird history, uh, doing all sorts of stuff. And for me, there was never really a separation between all of these pursuits, the art and the drawing and the websites were all a part of one bigger story. And I would often use these mediums, you know, when I was creating like cute fantasy stories in high school, I would, I would draw my characters. I would write about them. I would create websites for them. Um, you know, I would take photos and do like photo collages. So for me, it was all almost the same thing. And I think I've preserved that as an adult where I do think that writing, illustration, art, design, um, building society, it all comes from the same place. Um, even I've, I've took up boxing recently. I mean, that all comes from the same place where it's like, I'm learning lessons about art and life from boxing and, vice versa. So how do you learn lessons about art and life through boxing? Well, I think it's just, so one example is, um, with boxing, I am trying really hard to stay. I don't know how to describe this, like here on earth in my body and to be present, which I traditionally have a problem with generally speaking, where I am, I live in my head a lot. I have an active imagination. Sometimes that's great. And sometimes I start to imagine, you know, things like my phone will fall out of my hand and bounce 40 feet into a sewer grate. And then suddenly I'm like super anxious. So (laughs) it's definitely a balancing act, but yeah, that's taught me to be more present in the moment, to be a little more fearless, um, that I can kind of create some semblance of safety around me. Like that is in my power so it teaches me that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, just the art stuff means that I try to be like detail oriented when I'm learning boxing and, uh, you know, I can understand when my line, like my, the lines of my body aren't like straight or symmetrical when I see myself in the mirror. So it all adds up. And so I really think that if you are say like a really good skateboarder or something, there are lessons in there that you can take into videography or caring for plants. I always think it's interesting, the correlation between 
um, athletics and fitness and the rhythm of work for me, it's more the less to do with running. And I do not love running, um, at all, but I really, really love the discipline that it creates in my life. Because if I can go to a trail or the track and run three to four days a week, then it's surprising to me the other areas of my life to become more disciplined because I'm doing that. Um, and so that's very interesting to me that you found the, a similar correlation if you're working out. Oh, yeah. And I hate working out like a lot. Boxing is fun because, you know, it's empowering. But I mean, that's what it is, right? When you're an athlete and you're working out, you do like 30 hour, 30, 30 hours, 30 minutes of exercise a day. Right. And you see results, but it's not going to be immediate. First, it's like, you'll run a mile, then you'll be able to run two miles, then three, then five, then 10. But you don't start off being like, Oh, like I can't run 10 miles. So I shouldn't exercise. And I think that's a lesson in getting good at any craft, right? Where it's like, oh, I'm going to be bad for a while, but like, I'll just keep going. I can't stay bad forever. So if I just keep working at it, maybe I won't be running marathons, but I'll be able to run like five miles. So I'm curious, what is your personal definition of creativity? Creativity is making something out of nothing. And it's taking a lot of disparate parts and disparate matter and putting it together and composing it in a way that it becomes meaningful and true. My hope is that on this podcast, we'd always leave room for people to share from the heart. And that's where we jump back in with Ash. I would say that times right now are very scary and it's okay to be scared, first of all. That is the appropriate reaction to stuff that's going on. But there is so much to be optimistic about and there is a lot happening that is positive right now. And it's sucks. A lot of just horrible stuff is happening. And I would say that there is something you can do about it. There is a way you can live to help others achieve safety, help yourself achieve safety. And whether it's through your art or whether it's just helping a neighbor or making friends with somebody who needs it, um, I do think that now is the time where we are all being tested and a lot of people are stepping up to the plate and we each have the power within us to do that as creators and as just people. So what's been the biggest influence on your life as an artist? That's a hard question because I think I feel I've been formed by many hands. And it's funny because a lot of those people and mentors have not been necessarily in my life, but they've been in books or things I've seen in movies or so on. And so I like to think of this quote 
and I'm going to totally butcher it in my paraphrasing. Um, it was by Maya Angelou and she was giving an interview, I think to Oprah, which is kind of like, that's like too much badass in one room. But, um, she basically was like, all of human history is mine. Like something that happened in Viking times, like, thousands of years ago, it's mine. Something I read in a library written by someone 200 years ago, it's mine. And so if you can really take all of everything and say like, yeah, it's, it's ours, it's all of ours, but it's mine. Um, you can have so many mentors and you have this deep connection with humanity So that's kind of how I am, where I feel influenced by so many people and so many things that it's a little overwhelming at times. I think that's beautiful. And so um, listening to you talk tonight, listening to the things that come out of your your heart and your mouth and just your influences around you, I kind of get the sense that this is all about collaboration and friendly competition. And so... As someone who values those things and thinks that the world is better because of those things, if you could just in, I don't know, a quick paragraph, describe your thoughts on collaboration and friendly competition. I think it's really important that environments encourage people to be themselves and to really quest in a way that brings out the best in people versus trying to force people into, into any kind of mold or anything. Cause in theory there for every design problem or writing problem or anything, there's a hundred solutions and there is some metric right of how successful something is, but the success is not always the same. And I see that a lot as a problem with design. I think you and I have talked about this before where when there's one successful solution, people kind of glom onto that success and say like, oh, this is the solution. And if it was successful, it's like, yes, it was, it was a solution in that particular instance, but you don't know whether it's like cultural forces or, um, if a brand is just a different brand, there is another way to succeed. And there's another solution that's equally viable, if not more viable, that looks completely different. And so I think this idea of being true and being um, almost like there's room enough for everybody. It's not like you're competing in one style to be like the best in that one style because that's the only style that's hireable. Um, I want us to live in this universe where you can have different experiences and diverse backgrounds and come to the table with something different and have that resonate with an audience and all of these different solutions of like all kinds of colors and shapes and sizes, like all of them speak to someone else. And I think that's one of the great things about right now, technology wise is that it's really easy to find your people, especially if you're willing to go online or willing to do any of these types of things where you're not meeting face to face. And I think that's great. That's the world I want to see. Ash, thank you for your time. It's um, more than valuable, and I really appreciate you, my friend. Thanks, Daniel. You too. 
Thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you liked it, feel free to rate us. Check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, and go tell your friends about it.